uh, grab your Bibles, let's go to, uh, we'll start in Philippians 3, briefly. We're not going to continue our uh, walk through Philippians this morning because I want to pause just for a moment and push into a little further one of the uh, truths that we looked at last week from the passage we preached through uh, and looking at this, uh, this issue, this truth, this doctrine of justification and what the Bible teaches us about justification. So if you're there in Philippians 3, um, we, looked, we looked 1 through 11 last week, but just pick it up at, at verse 7. And this is Paul. He's just referred to his former life and his uh, evaluation of that former life. He says, verse 7, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And this is where justification rises from the text. And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so this, this morning we're going to go to Galatians 2 and look at how Paul explains justification to a different group of churches um, and it's, it's important for us as a church to hit a pause button from time to time and look more closely at some of these uh, deep truths, especially a truth like justification. Because in reality, when we think about salvation as a whole, if we miss justification, we miss it all. That's how important justification is. Justification is the singular issue that sparked what we know as the Protestant Reformation. Uh, Martin Luther, he read one verse, Romans 1.17, which reads, In the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And he read that, and he realized as a monk in the Roman Catholic Church that he was going the wrong direction. And God awakened him to that reality of justification, and he believed this truth of justification to be so vital that he wrote later, If the article of justification be once lost then is all true Christian doctrine lost. And so justification, to, uh, to give us kind of some definitions to, uh, to work with here, and these are somewhat lengthy, so uh, I'll have them on the screen for us. First, a, a, a definition from John Stott. Stott writes, Justification refers to God's act of unmerited favor by which he puts a sinner right with himself, not only pardoning or acquitting him, but accepting him and treating him as righteous, right? This is, this is the great exchange. This, this is verse 7 of Philippians 3. Whatever, once, whatever was once gained to me, I now consider loss for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord. And so unmerited favor where God puts a sinner right with himself, which reminds us that in and of ourselves we are not right with God, right? And so God acts, puts a sinner right with himself, not only pardoning or acquitting that sinner, but accepting him and treating him as righteous. So let's not forget that when God looks at us as saved children of the king, he sees us as righteous. And this happens because of justification. So, John Stott, another definition from Alistair McGrath, justification denotes God's powerful, cosmic, and universal action in affecting a change in the situation between sinful humanity 
and God. So th- that, that first phrase there, God's powerful cosmic and universal action infe- affecting a change in the situation between sinful humanity and God by which God is able to equip, equip and vindicate believers, setting them in a right and faithful relation to himself. And so in our sin, we are not in any way in right relationship with God. And so God acts on his behalf and for his glory, and as we'll see in our text this morning, because of his love to vindicate sinners and set us in a right and faithful relation to himself. One last uh, definition from Timothy George. Justification is the favorable verdict of God, the righteous judge, that one who formerly stood condemned has now been granted a new status at the bar of divine justice. So get the picture. In our sin, we stand guilty before God. And Ephesians 2 teaches us that in that sin, we are dead. And what does a dead person continue to do? Stay dead. What are we good at as dead people? Staying dead. And so God, because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. And he does that in justification. And so not only is justification where God is forgiving and pardoning our sin based on the work of Christ on the cross, but it's also, there's two realities to justification, pardon and forgiveness of sin, but there's also, and this is a word from last week, imputation of righteousness where God imputes, he implants his righteousness into us as he's making us alive together in Christ. So, like, I mean, what a picture. The Lord takes our sin in Christ, and that sin is atoned for. We'll see that in our text this morning as well. That sin is atoned for, and not only does does he uh, take that sin away from us, but he also says, here, now you have righteousness. And as, as I'm seeing you as righteous, I'm seeing you as righteous in Christ. And he's implanting, he's imputing into us his righteousness. So, which brings us to Galatians chapter 2. Justification for Paul was such a big deal that he went toe-to-toe with the uh, apostolic counterpart of his day, Simon Peter, over justification. And so, here's kind of what's, what's going on that we'll... Uh, start reading in verse 11 but at the beginning of chapter 2 well just the background of of the the letter to the churches of galatia the judaizers that we talked about last week who were coming in and imposing the law in addition to salvation were having a field day in the churches of galatia and so the, the the churches here were actually kind of falling back falling into this trap of jesus plus the law equals salvation and paul writes this letter and where Philippians was a really nice kind of uh, encouraging letter, Galatians is a stern, hard, and fast letter. Even if you look at uh, chapter 1. In chapter 1, all that Paul does is he, is he says, hey, there's no other gospel, and God has called me. I am an apostle. I have authority. He never makes that statement in, in the Philippian church, right? But here, he's coming uh, hard and fast against this false teaching, and then he goes and he tells them a story in chapter 2. And this is the Jerusalem Council from Acts chapter 15 where uh, you had a Jewish church that was developing in Jerusalem, but then there were all these other pockets of Gentile believers outside of Jerusalem. And uh, there was the same issue in Acts chapter 15. Do we adhere to the code of Moses, the, the Mosaic law, especially circumcision, in order to be saved? 
and you have this event in Acts chapter 15 where all the leaders of the church come together and they find out, hey, this is what's going on among the Gentiles. It's the same thing that's going on among us, so there's no reason for us to impose rules upon them. It's, it, they, they are accepted in Christ just like we are accepted in Christ. And so that's what he goes in and he says, hey, I went to Jerusalem uh, after 14 years. I took Barnabas, I took Titus. He throws Titus in there because, uh, remember from last week, Paul's heritage was that of like a Jew of Jews. Remember, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, he said. Titus was not. Titus was a Gentile convert. And so I took Titus with me. Um, we didn't force him to be circumcised, verse 3. And then he goes and he, and he says, we all, we all agreed in verse 9, James and Cephas and John, we all s- saw that, that, that grace was given to us as we're going to the Gentile believers. We shook hands. We have the right hand of, of fellowship. And we go to the circumcised. They go to the, uh, we go to the uncircumcised. They go to the circumcised. We go to the Gentiles. They go to the Jews. And that, that was their agreement. So verse 11. Look at verse 11. You can just kind of catch the tension here. But when Cephas, that's, that's Simon Peter. But when, th- like, that's the same guy, let's not forget, that stood up in Acts chapter 2, right? When the Holy Spirit's coming upon the church and he preaches the first post-ascension Christian sermon. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. I mean, you just, just imagine in the Galatian church reading this, like, oh, wait, what? Simon Peter? You had it out with him? For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, these were the Jewish background guys, when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So you get the picture. When the Judaizers were not there, when the, when the ones who were wanting to impose the Jewish belief system, in addition to salvation, when they were not there, Peter's hanging out with all the Gentiles. And because remember, Peter had the vision, like, it's okay to eat pork. That was basically the, the essence of the vision. You're free from the food laws. You can eat whatever you want to eat. But when these Jew, Jewish background folks come in who are imposing this religion, um, Peter, would, Peter would begin to draw back. And Paul calls them, he uses the word twice in verse 13, hypo- hypocrites. Verse 14, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? (laughs) Paul says, hey, if it's okay for you to live like them, how in the world do you think it's right for you to force them to live like you? And the issue was not just the way they were living. The issue, verse 14, is their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. What were they missing in the moment? They were missing justification. They were missing justification, this, this key issue here. And so this, this reality for, um, for Paul was, hey, this, this has such a potential to derail what the Lord is doing that I'm willing to fight over this. I'm, I opposed him to his face because he stood, con- he was wrong, is what Paul is saying here. And there's this reality, and it, it, it didn't just start with the Protestant Reformation. It started with the gospel, that justification is by grace alone through faith alone. No works. We don't add works to justification. 
And so departure from justification by grace alone through faith alone has the potential to derail the gospel and kill the church. This is a big deal. And as the church, we choose our battles wisely, and this is one we fight over. Like this is one, and if, if as, as a pastor, teacher, if I ever venture away from justification by grace alone through faith alone, then you need to hold me accountable and call me out and say, hey, man, you're preaching a false gospel. Like this, this can't work. This doesn't align with the Bible. That's how big of a deal this is. So let's look, we'll, we'll examine more closely verses 15 through 21 and consider the idea of the truth of justification. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. The we there uh, is in the context. It's not the churches of Galatia because they're Gentile. So he's referring to himself and Peter and James, essentially. We ourselves are Jews by, by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Clear statement. By works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin or an agent or proponent of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me i do not nullify the grace of god for if righteousness were through the law then christ died for no purpose justification two statements that come out of the text here with regard to um, this truth of justification and let's let's be careful enough just just to clarify like your mind's gonna have to stay engaged because we're we're, we're treading in some in some deep waters here like there's there's a lot of thinking that goes into this uh, and hopefully this thinking causes us to uh, be awakened more greatly to the reality of what God has done as he's justified us as his sons and daughters. So what Paul does here in these verses, 15 through 21, we see, we see a declaration of justification and a defense of, just, of justification. Declaration and then a defense. So uh, first the declaration, verses 15 and 16. There are two options for our being justified. We can either be justified by the law or we can be justified by faith. And what he's doing is he's pitting these two against one another. Like, they, they don't go hand in hand. So first, in verses 15 through the first part of 16, justifi justification by works. It, we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. So here's the argument. The argument is that if you work hard enough, God will accept you. Which is a subtle lie of the enemy that just destroys people. If, if you work hard enough, God will accept you. Just grit your teeth, pull yourself up by your own boot, bootstraps, hold to the moral law, the ceremonial law, the dietary restrictions, and on and on and on, and God will accept you. And justification by works or justification by the law is we are earning justification. That's, that's the emphasis there. Like We are working harder to gain God's favor. Now, if this position was true, if we could be justified, justified by works or justified by the law, then Paul and Peter had an advantage over the Gentiles. That's what he says in verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So the Jews actually referred to the Gentiles as sinners because they aren't part of the, the, the covenant people of God. 
And so Paul says, hey, if you could be justified by the law, then we've got a leg up on the rest of you. Jews are born into this covenant, and so if we can be justified by works, then we most certainly would be justified because we were born in that system. Here's the problem. You can't keep the law. You can't keep the law. Because if you're going to be justified by the law, according to the words of Jesus, you have to keep it perfect. Your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of even the Pharisees, who were experts in the law. Violate the law at one point, and you violate the law at all points. And this happens, it's a given, it's a guarantee according to the Bible, because we are all sinners by nature. It's who we are. It's who we are. We've inherited sin, and so therefore we are, at, at the core of our being, we are inherent lawbreakers. Even, even good things, we talked about this last week, even good things that we do, driven by flesh, are repulsive to God. Good deeds driven by flesh are repulsive to God. So we are condemned by our personal wickedness and by our perceived goodness. We're condemned by sin and self-righteousness. And so there's this system that he says, hey, you're either going to be justified by works, justified by the law, or you're going to be justified by faith, which he brings into the equation at the end of verse 16. Since you can't be justified by works of the law, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. There's this, there's a triple statement that's happening in verse 16. He says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. And then he comes and he says, we also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith. And then he says, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Romans 3.20, by works of the law, no human being would be justified in his sight. Now, remember the problem that's going on when, when Paul is writing to these churches. Like the backdrop is his confrontation with Peter. He says, hey, this is such a big deal. Listen to how this exchange went between me and Simon Peter, who we all hold in high regard as an apostle. I was willing to fight Peter over this because Peter was falling back into this works-based system of justification. So when he says we ourselves in verse 15, he's not referring to Paul and the Galatian churches. He's referring to Paul and Peter. We are Jews by birth. And he says that the only way that we are going to be justified is through faith in Christ. So it's either, you have to pick one. The default, by the way, is justification by works. That's the way every person who's outside of Christ is working. The default is justification by works. But by God's grace, he calls us, creates us anew, and now we're justified by faith. Even after we are justified by faith, isn't it true we're all tempted to fall back into a works-based system of justification? Even after God makes us new in Christ, we're tempted to fall back into a works-based system. That, that was Peter's issue. Right? That was Peter's issue. And so as, as in, in high regard as we hold Peter in the post-ascension church, like he's falling back into that system. What a reminder for us that we're all tempted to fall back into this work system, works-based system of justification. Now, um, justification is more than just a knowledge. So here's kind of the danger with, with a sermon like this morning. We just learn about justification, but it never becomes a reality that impacts the way we do life. Right? We learn theological points 
about justification, and Monday comes, and we pick works back up. We pick the law back up. Right? But, but, but Paul says it here, he uses two words in verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. So he says we know that a person is not justified. So he's, the word there, know, is it means we have the information. We have the knowledge necessary to come to this conclusion. So we know that a person is not justified. So we have believed, totally different word than what he's using there for no. Believe here describes the act of believing or trusting something on the basis of its truthfulness. So we believe in Christ Jesus. This is not mere intellect, but this is reality for us as Christians. This is not just, oh yeah, I'm justified. I mean, to, to become casual with the truth of justification is to do a great disservice to the accomplished work of Christ and what God has done in us as he's justified us. He's taken a sinner that was condemned. Like, you didn't, we don't have to work toward condemnation. The default is condemnation. Like, that's, that's how we come into this thing. A condemned, offensive sinner is declared righteous by the one who has been offended, who also acts as judge. There's, there's our advocate, the Lord Jesus, accomplishing everything necessary for that declaration to be considered right and just. It's not just like God is just arbitrarily saying, okay, Will, Ronnie, Stephen, you guys are justified. No, it's Will, Ronnie, Stephen, on the basis of what Christ has done. I'm declaring you as justified. This is a declaration that's coming from God. And so there's either justification by works or justification by faith. And the only justification that is true justification is that which is by faith. Not mere intellect, but also experience. We are staking our lives and our eternity on this truth. Which reminds us, if we miss it, we miss it all. If we miss justification, we miss the whole deal. So we want to know justification. So there's this declaration of justification. Then he goes into this defense of justification, starting in verse 17. Uh, and two statements here. Falling back into the works of the law is foolish, but living a justified life in Christ is freedom. So looking at the foolish example here, verses 17 and 18. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ not a servant of sin? Certainly not. Some translations have God forbid right there. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Now, if you go into, into chapter 3, verse 1, Paul actually calls the Galatians fools. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Like, who, how have you allowed yourselves to be tricked <laughs> and follow this teaching? Falling back into works of the law is foolish. And so here's, here's kind of what, what happens, though. And this is what Paul was coming against. His critics argued that the doctrine of justification by grace alone through faith alone was dangerous because what's going to happen? If you're not careful, people are going to start living life the way that they want. If you, if you really hold to justification by, by grace alone through faith alone, 
people are going to really start living their lives the way that they want. Where is moral responsibility in this? This is a big word here. This argument is actually called antinomianism, where moral law becomes of no value at all. And so there's this, there's this sense in which people will sometimes walk the aisle and just wait for heaven. And Paul says, you've got to be kidding me. Certainly not. God forbid. Paul denies that Christ is the servant or author or agent, depending on what translation you have, of sin in verse 17. And not only that, to continue in sin after being justified is to miss the point of justification completely. To continue in sin after being justified is to miss the point of justification completely. After being justified, going back into the old system of life, justification by works, is absolutely foolish. That's his point, verses 17 and 18. And, and this, this idea that if, if, you, if you keep preaching that by grace alone, through faith alone, people are just going to live their lives the way that they want. Live your life the way that you want. Because you know you've been justified by Christ. And we'll see in just a second, the whole desire system changes. And so the way that we want and what we want changes because of justification. Now, isn't it true that we're... we're subtly good at adding to justification we're 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 good at saying yes jesus thank you for justification and we're going to add this we can't add to or take away from the work that god has done when he saved us grace leaves no room for the addition of works there's no such thing as jesus plus fill in the blank we can't add things like baptism we can't add things like reading the bible praying preaching we can't add giving we can't add Salvation is evidenced by speaking in tongues. We can't add anything to justification because as soon as we put a plus plus sign on the end of justification, it's no longer justification because we're adding something that we bring to the table. Now, is reading your Bible a good thing? Yes, yes. Being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, is that a good thing? Yes, the Bible commands us to do these things. The question has to be, what's the motivation behind that? Is it because we are justified, or is it to earn justification? And so falling back into works of the law here is foolish, is what Paul is saying. On the flip side, living a justified life in Christ is freedom. Isn't the argument that some people bring to the table about Christianity, well, if I become a Christian, then I'm going to have to give up blank, 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 blank. Just fill in all these blanks. I'm going to have to stop doing these things. I'm going to have to start doing these things. And they're imposing, like before they even are justified, they're imposing a set of rules on themselves. However, those who truly are justified and understand justification realize that a justified life in Christ is actually freedom. Verse 19, Paul says, um, for, though, for through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see this picture here of life and death. Verse, uh, verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. So there's this, there's this reality of death and resurrection. 
And so what happens in justification? We are dying to our old way of life, and we're beginning life new in the grace that God provides and the power that Christ provides. And the, the, the key verse here is obviously verse 20. Four, four statements that fall out of verse 20 that, that we have to understand. Paul says first in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Now what he's not saying is the death Jesus died is the death I'm dying. That death is only reserved for one, and it's Jesus. No one in this room. Take the collective goodness of all of us in this room, and we don't have enough to die as one for the sins of man because there's no perfection. So he's not saying that he literally died the death that Jesus died. He's saying, in that death of Christ, my old self is now dead. There's this a continuation of his thought in verse 19. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. And literally, he, it, it reads, having been crucified with Christ. Old, what he's saying is, old Paul is dead. Oh, Paul is dead. Romans 6, 11. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin. What does that mean? That means that the old way of the old person no longer has dominion. Like the old person, the old way of living no longer has control of this whole deal. And so I've been crucified with Christ. And he goes on and says, it is no longer I who live. I've been justified. I've been declared righteous. It's no longer I who live. My system for living has changed. Going to Romans 6, 11 again. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's no longer I who live, but, third statement, but Christ lives in me. Consider what Paul just wrote. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives, key word, in me in me this is not perfectionism this is not mysticism this is reality the presence of christ resides in us through the indwelling of the holy spirit and as a outflow of what god does in justification when he declares us right it's not just he says your sin is forgiven and you're seen as righteous but i am taking up residence in your life and as the salvation reality just unfolds after, out of justification, there's this reality of Christ lives in me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Christ lives in me. How different would our days look? that small phrase resonated within our hearts and minds continuously Christ lives in me not above me not around me not before not behind all these things are true but he's in he's in me and so where I go he is but Christ lives in me the last statement of verse 20, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. We go on living the same life, but the nature and orientation of that life is radically different. What Paul is saying here is God doesn't just divorce us from the former life, He divorces us from the former way of life. 
the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Our desire changes, our motivation changes, our want to changes. And it's because uh, the life I'm living now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And then there's this statement on the end of the verse 20. <laughs> Who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul, most of the time, wrote theology in plural terms. We are you. But here, he kind of changes his focus a little bit. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I'm living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The phrase there, gave himself for me, Paul is speaking of the atonement, the accomplished work of Christ on the cross. And there's this personal, intimate reality to what Christ did. The atonement of, now listen to the church, the atonement of Jesus is for you. And that's singular you. Like let's just name names. That's who loved me and gave himself for me specifically and so what does this remind us of that god is not just out there somewhere distant just pushing buttons and and switching levers but he's in the mess knowing who he was getting when he was giving himself for me i've been crucified with christ it is no longer i who live but christ who christ lives in me the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who is this Son of God? He is the one who loved me and gave himself for me. And this doesn't become a reality for us until we realize what justification is about. And so then he comes in this defense of justification in verse 21. And writes to them and says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. In other words, if you go back to trusting in your own works to achieve salvation, you've made Christ of no value to you. If, if righteousness were through the law, then, then what Christ did was useless, is his point. But since we cannot achieve righteousness through, through the law, then what Christ did is of infinite value cannot quantify the value of the accomplished work of Christ on our behalf. And so some people some people will say, how does this actually happen? Like what 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 does this even mean? What's well, 2 Corinthians 5:17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And since we're made new in Christ, there's a new way for us to live. And the Bible says, in Christ, live. Just live. You're free to live. And you're free to live in ways that honor and glorify the one who justified you. And when we realize the truth of this phrase at the end of verse 20, who loved me and gave himself for me, isn't that a motivation for us to live rightly? To know that he loved us and gave himself for us, isn't that a motivation for us as the church and as individual Christians to honor him in the way that we do life every day? For our attitudes, our words, and our actions to, to be pleasing to him? 
to have characterized of our lives a consistent pattern of obedience, it's not as if the law is of no value. The problem is we can't obey it perfectly. So the one who could obey it perfectly did obey it perfectly and died in perfect obedience to that law to redeem those who could never obey it perfectly, who loved me and gave himself me. So justification is not a license for us to do what we want to do. Justification is liberty for us to live and obey in ways that glorify Jesus. The Bible says, you've been justified, now live your life. Now live your not life, and don't venture away from the truth of justification. Because what happens when God justifies us, our desire changes. The issue is not that, that we can no longer sin, We can, we do still sin. However, our view of sin becomes radically different. Like Before Christ, our gravitation was to sin and sin alone. Even good deeds, our gravitation was to sin. But in Christ, when when that sin becomes a reality for us as we're disobedient to the Lord, there's a a Holy Spirit-driven conviction, a Bible-saturated gospel reality that wells up within us that makes that very sin that we find ourselves sometimes gravitated toward repulsive to us. Our whole view of sin changes because we realize, one, that sin dishonors the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And two, God has justified us. And so when we sin, it is in violation of who we now are. And God, by the truth of the word, by the fellowship of the church, by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, comes and says, hey, that's not you anymore. That was you, yeah, but that's not you anymore. That's not who I've redeemed you to be. You are, don't forget, you are now justified. I see you as righteous. You don't have to live that way any longer. Why? Because we're justified. And still we're prone fall back into this self-righteous workspace system as if we're trying to earn the favor of God and God just reminds us by his word you're not going to get any more favor than I've already given you as deep as the well of favor that you can imagine that's what you have plus you're not going to earn my favor so Paul is saying here don't be a fool live in freedom Don't fall back into the works-based system of earning justification and don't use your justification as a a license to sin, but live in justification and know freedom. Now, how does all this happen? How does all this happen? It goes back to verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith. Through faith. By faith, We believe in Christ, and by faith we believe on Christ. Faith is not a work through which we achieve salvation. Faith is an evidence of salvation. We've been called from death into life. We know the saving grace of God. Our hearts have been renewed by the Holy Spirit. Our acceptance before God is enacted into reality by faith. And isn't it neat to think that even the faith by which we believe on God, He grants to us. Hebrews, without faith it is impossible to please God. We've been justified, not by works of the law, 
but through faith. Not works. And look, in, in Baptist circles especially, like we're good at works. But it's faith. And then James comes later and says, yes, and your faith is going to be evidenced by works. There's a pattern of obedience that has to characterize your life. You're not off the hook on obedience, but instead you are empowered unto obedience. <laughs> God is God is giving us giving uh, He's given us everything necessary to walk in ways that honor Him, and it starts with justification. Realize that in justification, our sin is atoned for; it's forgiven. Our old way of life is gone, and God has said, not only is that atoned for, but here's some righteousness for you. And so when I look at you, I don't see dead, wretched, putrid, vile Richard. I see my son. I see the one who loved you and gave himself for you. And so he doesn't look at me as vile Richard. He looks at me as a son because when he looks at me he sees his son. And he sees me through his righteousness. And he did all this for his glory. My goodness how good is this for us. And so let's be careful as the church as professing believers as Christians do not fall back into the trap of believing the lie that we can earn God's favor. Brother, sister, you have all the favor you're ever going to get. And it's far beyond anything that we can imagine even. And so let's live our lives because we have Christ and because we've been justified. So let's pray and we'll sing this truth together. Father in heaven, thank you for making us alive and making us new in Christ. And Father, for maybe there is someone who is living by the old works of the law, trying to earn your favor, and by the truth that we've declared in song, and through the preaching of your word, you've helped them to understand that they need to be free. Lord, would you justify them this morning? And Lord, would you grant them the faith to believe? Lord, may they repent of their sin and confess trust in you. Lord, our confession has to be that we are, we are quick to pick works back up. So in your kindness, Lord, expose, us, expose areas in us that we need to repent and to live as justified sons and daughters of the King again. Thank you, Lord, that when you look at me, you see righteousness. And when you look at us as your church, you see righteousness. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me and giving yourself for me. 
Christ in your good name. Amen. Thanks, brother.